Good morning again. I want you to think for just a second, what is the purpose of a wall? Typically, a wall is used to divide or separate a space. And so the purpose of a wall is to keep the right people or elements in and the wrong people or elements out. And so we construct walls all around us. There are physical walls. We have walls around this building. And last weekend, the hope when it was 20 degrees outside when we were starting was that the walls would keep the cold air on the outside and the warm air on the inside to create comfort. We put a fence or a wall around our playground so that we can keep our kids inside and contained and keep people who don't belong with our kids away from them on the outside. There are the physical walls, and physical walls serve a really important purpose in our world. But there are also metaphorical walls. And the problem with a metaphorical wall is it is invisible. And as you can guess, the problem with an invisible wall is you can run full speed into it and never know it was there until you hit it. And so we have walls that surround us that we construct. There are still racial walls. There are political walls. There are economic walls. There are religious walls. There are educational walls. But we construct these walls as a place of safety to give us comfort. And the thing is with a wall is anyone can construct a wall at any time. The only thing it takes is someone seeing the world differently than someone else. And when someone sees the world differently than someone else, a wall is constructed. Now listen, here's why this is so important. Because your ability or inability to manage the walls will affect your probability of healthy relationships. Your ability or inability to manage the walls will directly affect your probability of healthy relationships. See, my my assumption this morning is we struggle in managing walls. Whether you talk about relationally with family, outside of this place, but, but many times we struggle with managing the walls that are constructed inside. So what has to happen for a wall to come down? When I was a senior in high school, 
my youth minister, kind of tricked me. He invited me and one of my friends to his house because he wanted to remodel his bathroom. And he said, I want you big, strong guys to come over here and help me with the demolition. And so we asked, well, okay, what what does that mean or what does that entail? He said, I'm going to give you a sledgehammer and you get to tear up my bathroom. Which, I mean, for a high school senior, is there anything that sounds better than that? And so he hands us a sledgehammer and sends us into his small, confined 1970s bathroom with four-inch tile. And he said, I want you to get all of this tile out of here. We said, well, okay, how do we do that? He said, you get to break down the walls with a sledgehammer. So we get in there with this sledgehammer, and we hit the wall as hard as we possibly could in this small little fragment of porcelain tile chips off and there is a small little crack in the tile and he stands back and he said I thought you guys were big strong athletes is that all you got and we discovered something really quickly that this job was going to be a lot more difficult than we ever anticipated it being. And we learned something that day. Once a wall is constructed, the only way for it to come down is someone has to do the hard work to bring it down. And let me tell you, It was some hard work. He kind of tricked us into thinking this was an easy job. But walls are never easy to bring down. You know, one of the biggest implications of sin in the garden, and I think it's one that we maybe miss a lot of times, but when man and woman sin in the garden, There is this shift that happens from oneness to otherness. They sin. And now, all of a sudden, they have this realization that God is separate from them. And so what they do is they hide themselves. They have this realization that there is now someone else beside me who is different than me. Because before the sin, they're naked and they feel no shame, and afterwards, they notice that someone is standing there beside them who is different. There is this shift from oneness to otherness. When God comes and asks them what they've done, it's not, well, we ate this fruit, but the response is this woman that you gave me, she convinced me to do it. This serpent that you put here, he tricked us. See, there was a shift that occurred from oneness to otherness. And in that shift, a wall was formed. A wall that separated man and God but also a wall that now separated man from man. 
or man from woman. And God's plan for redemption is to use a nation to redeem his lost creation. And so he calls this people, Israel, and he gives them a task, a job, a vocation, that you will be a light to the nations. And somewhere along the way, they lost sight of that vocation. And they twisted their privilege into favoritism. And they began to despise all of the people who were not like they were. There were walls that were created. There were walls that were created. And I think there are some walls that must come down. Paul, as we continue in Ephesians, talks about a wall that was created. But he also talks about how that wall, or what has to happen for that wall to come down. So we're going to start chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 11. Therefore, Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So there was a wall that was created. The wall that was created was metaphorical. Yes, Jew and Gentile. But the wall was also represented physically in the temple that they constructed. Because the the walls that were constructed, there was an inner court in the temple that was for the priests. And then there was a wall and another court that was for Jewish men. And then there was another wall and another court that was for Jewish women. And then, a wall, five steps, a platform, 14 more steps, and a wall. And you have the court of the Gentiles. So there was this metaphorical wall that existed, Jew and Gentile, but there was also this physical wall and separation between the two. One group called themselves the circumcision group. And you remember Paul said last week, there's no boasting because who you are in Christ. He repeats that again here in verse 11. He said, remember that circumcision thing that you had done, if you are a good Jew, was done when you were eight years old. It was done by human hands and it was in the flesh. You had no control over it. It was all about who you were born to and where you were born. So we see ourselves as this privileged group, the circumcision group, and then this uncircumcised group. And there is a wall that divides. So what are then the implications of the cross? 
Because sin has some pretty big implications, right? Sin creates these walls. It helps me see myself and then see those others there. It sees me as right and the other is wrong. Sin has some huge implications. But so does the cross. The cross has massive implications. And most of the time, the thing we jump to is what the cross has done in us individually. There is redemption and forgiveness. That in the cross, we are redeemed and we are set free from our sin. And that is huge. But Paul here, talking to the Gentiles, does not jump back into that argument. He talks about some bigger implications than just you have been set free. So he says, verse 13, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. Remember, this is not just metaphorical. There is this physical separation. And that's what he's talking about. Those who are near, the circumcision group. Those who are far off, the uncircumcision group. Those people who are not a part of Israel. Paul says, you have now been brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both of us one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create for himself in himself one new man in the place of two. So making peace that, and might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So the implica- implications of the cross is first, he abolishes the law. Now hopefully when you hear that, there are some huge red flags that shoot up. Because you think about the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, where Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And I tell you, not the smallest letter or the least stroke of the pen will disappear from the law and the prophets until everything is accomplished. So there's a problem between what Paul is saying and what Jesus is saying, right? Well, not really. Understand what Jesus is saying is he's referring to the heart of the law, the purpose behind it. And what Paul is referring to is the ceremonial following of the law and our salvation from our obedience to it. And there is a huge difference. See, the law became a dividing wall. Crazy, right? Because the wall was intended, the purpose of the law in the beginning 
was to bring people closer to God. But what it did was created a wall between two people. Its intent was unity. Its function became division. And it became about our ability to keep the law better than someone else. Because we're a privileged people. We're God's favorite. We're better than you are. You see, wherever there is a wall, you can make this assumption. There is most likely someone on the other side of it. And here's what our hope is. We don't think of it like this because we know it's not possible. But here's what our hope is. That the people on the other side would start seeing things like I see things. Because if everyone would just believe what I believe, then we would have peace. Now, come on. We won't admit that. But deep down, that's where our hope from peace comes from most of the time. If people would just see things like I see them, then everything would be okay. So here's my assumption. With around 400 people here on a Sunday morning, there are probably over 400 different views about numerous things. If we were to ask you to describe the perfect scriptural service, my guess is we would probably have about 400 different responses. And if we ever have hope of peace, our answer cannot be, well, everyone just needs to think the same way I think. Because it will never happen. So what Paul says, and you have to understand this, he himself, referring to Jesus, he himself is our peace. Notice it's not the right belief that brings peace. It's he himself who brings our peace. And what happens when we make the assumption that everyone on the same page thinking the same way will bring peace is our rightness will trump relationship. I got to be right about this. And being right about this matters more to me than the relationship. See, here's the truth. We like walls because we like laws. Because when there's a law, 
when there's a wall, when there's a line, we at least know where we stand. Or, or let me say it like this. We at least like laws that we can create, impose, and follow. And so what Jesus' cross does, he says it breaks down the dividing wall of hostility. And in that, creates a new humanity. See, we think of peace usually as the absence of something. It's the absence of conflict. But peace, when the Bible speaks of peace, comes from the presence of God's protection in our life. We find peace there. We find peace from Him. When you think about all of the reasons, all of the reasons over the years that our churches have split or people have left, the majority of them are because of affinity and not divinity. It it comes from our ability to see things the same way. And very seldom are those splits and those fractions because of the divinity of Christ and the theology of God. It's not because of the birth and the death and the resurrection and the ascension and the return. It's not because of the love of God. It's because we see something different. And David Litton pointed this out to me last week, that most of the reasons that we split today, by the way, in our history as churches of Christ, there's about 150 different reasons. That most of them are because of what happens in here an hour week. So he says, our peace is in Christ because he himself is our peace. The second thing he does is it creates a new humanity, one new humanity out of two. What does that new humanity look like? He describes it in a couple of places. In Colossians 3, he says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. In Galatians, he says it like this. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. See, the cross brings peace, which sounds so funny because the cross is completely antithetical to peace. 
This was a world and a society where a cross was used to bring forced conformity. It's this group that sees themselves as the right ones and sees everyone else as the wrong ones. And if you will become like us, then we will have peace. And as you might tell throughout human history, that hasn't worked. It has not worked. See, the heart of peace is seeing each other as one. And it's not that in that moment that your nationality is changed or erased but it's that your nationality does not affect your standing before God. It's not that you're no longer a man or a woman. It's that that does not affect your standing before God. See, at the foot of the cross, the ground is even and we are all the same. Whether Jew or Gentile, whether circumcised or uncircumcised, whether free or or slave, whether male or female, we are all equal in Christ at the foot cross. And the third thing it does is it not only reconciles man to man, it reconciles man to God by breaking down the hostility, the wrath that we deserve for our disobedience to to God and our disobedience. It breaks down that dividing wall and it brings those who were far off near. It brings us together. See, we have this faulty assumption that unity of mind will bring peace. And it's so impossible for that to truly happen that it cannot be our way to peace. See, unity comes from hearts surrendered to Christ. That together, that song we sing, we are the body of Christ, that together we are his body. And there is no question about his divinity. There is no question about who he is and what Jesus has done. But there is this understanding that we will see things differently. See, it says Christ broke down the dividing wall of hostility, and as quickly as he could break it down, we started rebuilding them. And here's the scary part. And I know it's true about you because I think it's true about me and everyone else in the world. I believe everything I believe is correct. Right? If you cease to believe what you believe is correct, you no longer believe it. You believe something else, now you believe that's right. So we're going to do a little exercise and confession that I think will help everyone a little bit this morning. I want you to turn to the person next to you and just confess to them, I believe everything I believe is correct. Go ahead, go ahead tell the person next to you. Now, okay, okay. Doesn't that feel good to say? 
You see, you believe what you believe because you made an educated, rational decision to believe it. And it was shaped by your past and the way that you see the world and what God's word says. And we believe everything we believe is correct. And the problem is when someone bumps into those walls that we have constructed and created, it doesn't just question what we believe. It questions our rightness. And if it's a big enough deal to us, we will allow our rightness to trump our relationships. Because we believe, everything we believe is right. Now, in, in this sermon, let me just tell you, in this sermon, I was going to go on and I was going to do like verses six or 17 through 22. And this morning, I, just like, or I finally just took it out. So when you get home, I want you to read the rest of this little section. Because what it says is that now in Christ, we're God's family, we're his temple, we're his kingdom. But I want to get really practical for just a minute and talk about how do we manage. If your ability or inability to manage these walls affects your ability to have healthy relationships, then how do we learn to manage these walls in a healthy manner? So I want to give you four things. And the first two are so easy. Anybody in here can do them. The next two might take some hard work on your part. So first, name it. Acknowledge it. Spend some time thinking about what the walls are that you are, have constructed. What, what are the reasons that you might leave a church? What are the reasons you might choose to break apart a relationship? And, and we're not saying they're good or bad, right or wrong. We're just simply acknowledging that there is a wall there. Because you remember what the problem is with an invisible wall? You don't know it's there until you run into it. And you at least owe it to yourself to know that those walls exist in your life so that you're not completely shocked when someone else runs into them. So name it, acknowledge it, write it down. I believe this, I believe this. And remember, you believe that that's correct. That's good. That's all we're asking. Acknowledge it. Two, pray about it. Sincerely, honestly, Ask God to give you a spirit of unity of heart in Christ with other people. Other people who may see the world a little bit differently. Ask him to help you have grace-filled conversations with other people. Now, said the first two are easy because there's no one else involved. The third one gets a little more difficult and it's to sit down. 
to sit down with someone face to face who you know a wall exists between the two of you. And in the conversation, listen, because I know most of you are thinking, yeah, I'm going to sit down with that person, I'm going to tell them why I'm right and why they're wrong, and that's good. Listen, to sit down with that person and listen to them and seek to understand them. Not trying to win an argument, not trying to be right, but just simply to have a conversation. And then the fourth one's really difficult. It's to sacrifice. Now, here's what I mean by that. I don't mean sacrifice what you believe. What you believe and what you've decided is correct, that's fine. I'm not saying change that. But you may have to sacrifice, in some ways, your ideals or your thought of how it should be. You may, and this is regardless of what side of any conflict or decision or any view of anything you do. This is for every single person. You may have to sacrifice the way you see things. And you may have to come out on the other side being okay with seeing things differently than someone else. Listen. Christ is our hope. Plant our fellowship there. Plant it in Jesus Christ, in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, in his ascension, in his return, that Jesus is coming back and that all of those in Christ, plant your fellowship there. Listen, there are over a hundred and 50 reasons that we have broken fellowship in our history. You're going to vote. You women are going to wear pants. You're going to use that version of the Bible. You're going to clap your hands. The majority the majority of those conflicts and issues could dramatically be different if we could learn how to have loving and healthy conflict with one another. We in the church do not do conflict well. And let me tell you this, the reason we are losing generations, one of the major things that that, that younger people are saying is we've seen the fighting and the arguing and the bickering, and we don't want any part of it. Church, can we agree that Christ is Lord of all the earth 
and that he came and gave his life for our sins, creating a new humanity out of two and reconciling man to God and that through him, the whole earth, whether near or far, can be brought to Christ. Can we agree on that? Then we can call ourselves the body of Christ and we can stick through difficult times with one another. That we can plan our fellowship in him. That we can find our hope in him. That we can find our peace in him. And that our unity and our peace comes through hearts that are connected because of the gospel. There have always been walls that divide. The biggest implication of the cross is to move us from otherness back to oneness, the way it was intended to be. Amidst all the racial tensions in the world, there was a high school in 1971 that decided to desegregate. It was in Virginia. And there was a movie that they came out with several years back called Remember the Titans. And I want you to watch just this really short segment from this movie. In the morning. All right, listen up. You will follow Doc... Myself and the other coaches, we're going to take a little run through the woods. If you get lost along the way, don't bother coming back to camp. Just hitchhike your hind parts on home. Any questions? Coach, it's a high school football team. We're not the Marines here. Let's go. Let's go. Anybody know what this place is? This is Gettysburg. This is where they fought the Battle of Gettysburg. 50,000 men died right here on this field. Fighting the same fight that we're still fighting amongst ourselves today. This green field right here, painted red bubbling with blood of young boys, smoke, and hot lead pouring right through their bodies. Listen to their souls, man. They 
Killed my brother with malice in my heart. Hatred destroyed my family. You listen. You take a lesson from the dead. If we don't come together right now on this hollow ground, we too will be destroyed. Just like they were. I don't care if you like each other or not, but you will respect each other. And maybe, I don't know, maybe we'll learn to play this game like men. Hey! Here's what I know. And you know it too. There will always be people and relationships who are bumping up against what you believe. And it doesn't mean that we change what we believe. But what it has to mean as brothers and sisters in Christ that we learn to have those conversations in a healthy way because our witness so often to the world is that in Christ we don't know how to do this well And if there is ever a place that handles this well, it should be the church. So what are the walls that you have constructed? And I just want to simply ask you this morning, to name them and pray about them. And if you're really ready to get serious about this unity thing, to maybe sit down and have a conversation. Let's start working to destroy the walls that divide us. Let's pray. Father, help me today to trust that Christ is enough. <clears throat> oh God, you have made of one blood all of the peoples of this earth and sent your blessed Son to preach peace to those who are far off and to those who are near. Grant that people everywhere may seek after you and find you. Bring the nations into your fold and pour out your Spirit upon all flesh. And hasten the coming of your kingdom through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. If you have never <clears throat> entered into Christ, we would love to give you that opportunity this morning to come to him who has broken down the wall between you and him to make it so freely you can come and enter into him through baptism. But if we could just simply pray for you, 
We're gonna have some shepherds and ministry staff around this auditorium. We would love to pray for you in your relationships as we seek to bring peace and unity to this world. So whatever your need, come while we stand and sing.